When life happens, plans need to change. Shaping Change, hosted by certified financial planner Ross Marino, is dedicated to helping financial advisors better serve their clients when life takes those unexpected turns. Welcome to the Shaping Change Show, part two, Jamie Hopkins with Rewirement. How you doing, Jamie? I'm doing well. So it's a, it's a beautiful day to be alive, right? <laughs> so in our first part, we looked at a lot of what led up to where we are today and how people see things and how they make decisions. And in your book, when you went to part two, you said that you added questions at the end and you, you updated some information, but also you start to talk a lot about some of the trends that are going on now and how that's going to impact the future. And I think that's best in a separate conversation, which is why I wanted to do a part two. So let's start with the book. You have a 10 step process in there let's pick one process or one step in the process that is often overlooked that'll really matter down the road for people. Yeah, and uh, it, it's a great question. And kind of here, you know, I could probably make an argument for any of the 10, right? I mean, that's, that's why you have it. But one of the ones that just kind of is sticking in my mind right now, as you bring this up, is actually the, the conversion of assets into income. It's to some degree, that's what is the process that, you know, when we actually, when the, you know, the rubber hits the road or however you want to say it, when we actually have to execute, um, because, you know, I think execution is always important, right? We can give people great ideas, we can review things, but if we can't execute, right, if we can't implement, we actually don't get anywhere. And I've seen that a ton, right? You've seen it. You work with a client, you tell them all this great stuff, you do all the analysis, you do all the review, and you get to the end of the day, and they're still doing the same thing they were doing 15 years ago, and we're unable to implement or execute. So execution and implementation, so Ron Carson, you know, always talks about IQ, not intelligence, but implementation quotient. And to me, that's huge, right? When you see firms, when you see clients that move forward, they're able to implement recommendations. So, you know, and that goes to the right questions you ask. It's how you frame things. It's understanding the client so they'll actually move and make a decision. Um, and sometimes like the efficient stuff. So there's a big, you know, if you go look at academic research and a lot of my former colleagues, right, um, Wade Fow and others, will talk about like efficient frontier and the most efficient portfolio. And end of day, most clients don't give a, a flying whatever about the most efficient portfolio in the world, right? Like they just don't care. They want something that they can relate to and works for them. And so I think that whole, that whole idea uh, really matters, but it's different for different clients, right? What drives one person to act is not what drives everyone to act. I talk about that in the book, right? For some clients, you can present something in a fashion that can drive behavior because they're a risk averse person and they're going to react to mitigating or eliminating risk. Whereas somebody else like myself and probably, you know, you might be similar like this too. Like if you tell me, Hey, you can go do this, buy this annuity and reduce your risk in your portfolio. Like it has no appeal to me, right? Like, and I'm not against annuities. I like annuities from an income standpoint, but I don't like annuities do not uh, have any value in my personal mind, right? To me about reducing the volatility of my portfolio when I'm investing. I just don't care about that. So that presentation style or implementation strategy won't work with me, but it does work with other people. So when you kind of start getting a little bit deeper into planning, and I think as this profession continues to evolve, we're going to get better and better at that. But the flip side is that's a good thing. It's taking behavior. It's taking decision-making and we're learning and we're driving positive behaviors. But guess what? That could also all be used for bad things and, and 
you know, harmful outcomes too. I, I you know, the one I'll, I'll kind of, I guess, well, I, maybe I won't say the name, but everyone will know it anyway. But, uh, you know, there's a, a popular trading app out there, right, that drops confetti down from the sky <laughs> when you make a trade. In essence, that, right, that's kind of using- hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure I know which app you're talking about. I've never used it. It literally drops confetti yeah, I think that it used to your first trade. It used to drop confetti down from the screen. I, I haven't tested it. Or I'd have to get a new uh, thing, but yeah, it did that. And look, look, like that's obviously, you know, it, it's a gamification of trading, and the goal for that is to encourage more trading, right? I mean, and so they they've actually used a lot of really smart behavioral tools, tricks. The you know decision making processes to drive people to act more, but arguably we're not sure if that's a good outcome yet, right? Like we're in that mode of like, is some of that actually being used to uh, almost create addictive like behaviors and, and not positive outcomes? So for is is, is uh, you know anytime we learn about the human condition and how to drive decisions, that can also be used in negative ways too. So I, you know I think there will be a balance of that. Um, you know, even Congress came out and said they're probably going to start regulating a lot of that more. Um, and just in the last like couple of weeks, they they came out and talked about that. And SEC too, right? I mean, both of them have said, "Hey, we're we're getting a little concerned about this." <laughs> yeah, I know that's a that's a big answer, but it leads us to some of the technology pieces, which I think are going to be crucial for for execution moving forward. Well, first, I love IQ implementation quotient there's my ron nugget for the day because mm -hmm. action matters most and we know that you know all, all the talk in the world is great but if it didn't leave if the decision didn't follow through with an action really doesn't matter that much so let's go to the next question what is coming down the road that maybe i as a financial planner really aren't looking at or maybe i don't understand the significance of what it's going to mean to my clients yeah, and this is a fun question, and I'm, I'm glad that you agreed to, to ask me it. <laughs> because this is the stuff, you know, it, it, it's I, it's I, when I have free time, I try to think about this, and I try to take the step back. And, uh, you know, it, I didn't do this all the time at the college, but I get to do it a little bit more now with Ron, because Ron likes to think about this stuff, which is, if you were going to disrupt the industry today, how would you do it? And you can go in a whole bunch of different directions. Ron loves flying cars. So I know that that's one of the things, you know, he's a big believer in that and thinks they're coming and relatively soon. Um, I remember I did an interview with Ashton Kutcher, who a lot of people know just as more of like the actor, but he's a big, uh, he was a, one of the early investors investors in Uber and Airbnb. Um, and then he's got a Thorn, which is the like cyber security firm that goes after the child predators. He's actually an incredibly smart person. And I was shocked by it because he's been more or less typecast into like the like dumb jock bro guy. But then you have this like really brilliant technology and investor guy on the side. And uh, he talked about flying cars and he, he said, you know, I'm not as interested in the actual cars, but all the infrastructure it's going to take to create this. So like what what is the air traffic control for it, then that's where I want to be investing. But then you start thinking about some of those things and even some of the things that happened in the past year. And I think we're going to, I'm actually still of the opinion that the, the pandemic didn't move us as far as some people think um, from workplace. I, I see more and more companies, some companies saying, hey, nobody has to come back. But I've seen companies that have now said everyone needs to come back. I don't think we got pushed all the way away. But the ability to work from distance, the ability to work from a Zoom, to work from your house. And all of a sudden, if you, if you think that we had autonomous self-driving flying cars, 
well, could I go from here to Wilmington, Delaware in maybe 15 minutes? Um, you know, if I just had a straight line flying car, I don't know how fast they're going to go, but all of a sudden, right? Like the ability to live in different places and work and work for longer because mobility changes. I mean, probably unlike anything we've seen since the actual car or the plane, right. Um, could happen. And I think that's, I, I think autonomous vehicles are really the shift there. I don't even really care about the flying ones as much, but just self-driving vehicles. I mean, think about how many parents or people whose eyesight starts to decline later on, but could still do a job. And now all of a sudden that mobility aspect is just completely removed. And then all of a sudden the workforce opens up to another 10, 15, 20 million people that are now looking for employment because mobility and distance and all of that is taken off the table. Well, that's transformative to like the whole economy, right? Um, the other thing is, you know, there's doctors and people out there that think we're like on this precipice of, um, and, I, and again, I'm not saying these are things that I believe in, but there's people out there that are looking at this. Um, which is there are some people out there that think during our, you know, during somebody's lifetime today, right, the person who's going to pass age 200 has already been born, right? So there's actually a lot of doctors that are starting to believe that. And there's some doctors now that are saying, hey, look, um, we're nearing the time period where, you know, if you had unlimited resources, you wouldn't die from natural causes anymore, right? That we're actually getting closer and closer to that. Um, those things are transformative. I mean, you can't have a work <laughs> career of 30 years and retire for a hundred and fifty. <laughs> right. Like it just doesn't work. Um, so when you start looking at that, like and not longevity of people living to 95 and 100, but people living to 200. Right. That's totally disruptive to the entire system. Um, I think that stuff is really big. Um, the other stuff, you know, is more closer to the vest now is just where does all this blockchain, crypto, digital assets, currencies, you know, what gets disrupted there that we just haven't even thought about? I mean, the one that I really wasn't a big believer on, and I, I guess I'm probably still not, but it's there. And so I don't, whether I like something or not, never matters, right? Like NFTs and digital art, I, you know, I understand the concepts behind it. It doesn't resonate with me, but the reality is like, I don't think that's going away anymore either. But if you asked anyone 15, 20 years ago, oh, digital art's going to become a huge thing and people are going to buy digital properties that don't exist in the real world for hundreds of thousands of dollars, you would just be like, no, that's not a thing. End of conversation. Now we at least have to have the conversation when people are spending millions of dollars on these things. Like they're here, whether you like them or not, they're here. Just like if you didn't like people mailing scratch DVDs out to your house like Netflix did at one point. Well, it, I don't really care if the distribution in the channel was there. And like people forget, like that used to be like kind of a joke of a certain. I remember people get these DVDs, right? And they would always be scratched. <laughs> you watch like three quarters of the movie. And they're like, now we have this multi, you know, billion dollar company that's changed the way that everyone is approaching entertainment. And so I think there could be things like that. I think the crypto smart contracts will probably be a big thing, especially for the insurance world. Um, insurance world's probably still 20 years behind everyone in technology. So even if they caught up to today's technology, it would be completely disruptive to our daily life. But I mean, imagine that. Let's well, a smart contract, right? Where you, you say you have hail damage on the top of your house, drone flies out, takes pictures kicks into the smart contract, you're paid the same day, right? I mean, 
uh, all of that exists today. Like there's nothing in that story that the technology doesn't exist today. And I, I, I know I've mentioned Ron a couple of times, mostly because I spent too much time with him the last month, but um, he, he's been saying this too. He goes, think about it today is the worst technology experience you'll ever have for the rest of your life. <laughs> right? Like this is as bad as it's ever going to be again. Tomorrow is going to be better. The day after that's going to be better. Um, it's true for advisors. It's true for consumers. And I mean, there'll be things that we don't even think of that that come out. As I said, like, you know, it, I, I didn't think of a lot of those things. And there's a lot of needs and things that will be automated and jobs will shift. I'm not as fearful as some people are that like jobs just get automated and we lose the profession. I mean, there was a time period where I think 98% of the world was farmers right now. It's like 1%. Um, but does that mean 97% of the workforce is now gone? No, you, you shift and you do other things. Like we didn't know that we needed Twitter, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know. And that was a bunch of people that work for Twitter. Um, so kind of every time new technology develops, it actually does kind of create new industries and jobs and opportunities. So, um, you know, if, you know, flipping burgers goes away, I don't really feel that sad about that. I mean, I think it's probably good that people don't have to stand there and flip burgers all day and some other opportunity will develop from that that we haven't seen yet. Ashton Kutcher, uh, uh, how do you say his last name? Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. Kutcher. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He is actually one of the early adopters and VCs in the crypto and digital asset space. So he's, yeah. he was in early. Uh, I'm sure he's doing well. He's, he's obviously a visionary person. It is pretty amazing when you think about what could be with some of the technology that is literally in front of us today, but it's not actually adopted. Uh, but it's easy for us to connect the dots, right? The brain loves to say step one, step two, I see where this is going. But anybody who thinks deeply and has been doing that for a long period of time, oh, they've been wrong a lot of time. So mm -hmm. uh, how about you share something <laughs> you missed on? Yeah, well, so it, I wrote an article um, back in like, well, I've done two that I've been pretty wrong on. Um, and, and one was about self-driving, you know, self-driving cars. And, and I know we're kind of on this topic, but this is one that I really missed on. And uh, it's actually still not here yet. So I guess maybe I'm not wrong, wrong yet, um, because I, I might have still gotten there faster than others. But I remember thinking... I wrote this whole paper on like liability of self-driving cars, right? I'm an attorney and I started looking at it. I compared it to canine law, which is more or less like, do you know that there's a risk or that there is an issue and then you don't fix it and there's a second bite, right? Like most states operate and there's this like first bite's free, second bite is a problem. So if you have technology and your car malfunctions and you don't really get it fixed and it malfunctions again, you might create some type of liability there or you knew that there was a risk with your car and it malfunctioned, right? Um, but what I missed on all of that is I just kept thinking, and, and uh, people still push back on this on me, but I kept thinking people are going to still own cars, right? Like I looked at this whole thing about, hey, personal liability of owning cars, and I'm going to you know, buy a self-driving car for my kids or teach them how to drive. And then all of a sudden, I realized like there's absolutely zero reason to own a car if they're self-driving. There's zero reason why my car, your car, unless you drive as a profession, which you won't be needed anymore. <laughs> um, you're right. Like you don't, your car probably sits idle 95 to 98% of the time, right? Throughout the course of the day, it doesn't do anything. Honestly, if you live in a neighborhood of 20 people, it's actually possible that you only need one car 
in aggregate of their time being used to service the entire 20 households. Now, because of when people travel to and from work, you, you know, there's going to be peak times, but in total aggregate, right, you might only need one car to service 20 households. Well, there's no reason for 20 people to buy 20 cars. It's actually a very good example of, uh, you know, <laughs> mortality pooling, right? If we need $100 and we have 10 people with a 10% risk, should we all save $100? Should we all just put $10 into one pot? Well, actually, it's the exact same decision. If we only need one vehicle that can drive itself and be there, all of a sudden you go to, you know, okay, well, then Ubers or Fords or Toyotas or Teslas, they just own all the cars, and they just come around and pick you up. And more or less, you're just renting that time with the vehicle. Maybe, you know, wealthier people, they still have their own car and they reserve it for themselves because they don't want to share it. Okay, fine. <laughs> right. Um, and, and that always remains true to some extent. But, you know, that was something I really missed on. And technically, it's not really here yet. But you could say like Uber Rideshare and Uber and Lyft, and they're kind of pieces of that. Right. Um, like I have friends that live in Philadelphia that have gotten rid of their cars. They don't own cars anymore. Right. Um, they don't need them. And uh, you can see that, but if they actually became autonomous, it would push that forward significantly. And that's, um, you know, I, uh, when I realized that this change was coming was actually because I was working with State Farm and they actually view it as a huge risk. So the biggest risk to their entire model for one period, I remember somebody saying was self-driving cars, because if you only had one car for every 20 people and they didn't get in accidents anymore and you didn't own the car, there's not much car insurance left. <laughs> So, yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you, that is in my mind, when I think about that, I wouldn't have connected the dots to the car insurance companies. I mean, that's going to be a casualty if that plays out. But I think it just stresses the point in my brain of why we understand life happens, plans change, and our assumptions may or may not play out. But we may not even be thinking of some of the big factors that are going to influence our lives 10 and 20 years ago uh, from now. So that just brings it back to making good decisions today. Um, and you know, the self-driving cars, if you're in a big city, a lot of those people already don't have cars because they can get where they need to be. Who has a car? People who want the convenience and convenience has a cost. Do you wanna pay for it? Great. If not, it may be pretty convenient anyway. And I would see how that ties into longevity for mobility, for more interaction, for quality yeah. of life. Now people live even longer. So that could be another whole show. But the future is going to be interesting, right? There, there's no question about it. But how, how about we wrap up? And let's wrap up with a question that I always love to close with. That's, of course, the magic wand question. And you're a thinker. You think about the future. You think about trends. I'm sure you sit around and think, man, it would be great if. So if you can yeah. wave this magic wand that I'm showing on the screen, change anything in the world, what would you change, Jamie? Uh, yeah, if I could change anything in the world. So I'm going to pick something currently on my mind. It's probably not the number one thing I would change. Um, but we'll pick something that'll kind of make this group think. Okay, so is that fair enough? Can I pick? Take it. It, yeah, you know, obviously, if I could change anything, you know, who knows, maybe I'd make the you know infinite worlds and people don't die anymore cool so there we go but uh <laughs> something more meaningful but uh it, i i think when i look at um you know our space I, and i push people in this and it's going to become a conversation coming up which is if i could change anything about our tax system okay i'm going to go there um what would i change i would probably move everything to an estate tax all right. So I, and, and this always gets people that people go, why the state tax is terrible. It's going to destroy farms. I'm like, OK, 
pause yourself, right? Now you're applying a bunch of other things that you know probably actually don't relate to this. Um, but if I had two choices, I could pay all of my taxes that the government needs for the revenue. Or I'm just assuming the government needs, still needs revenue. Um, nobody's proven that there's any model that works without a government needing revenue yet. So um, <laughs> uh, there's no, no example of a successful country and people and businesses without a government that needs revenue. So I'm going to say that that's still needed. <laughs> and so the government needs revenue. I can either go to work and the government's going to take 30% of my pay every year for the rest of my life basically our model, right? Um, that's what we live under. Or I could pay no taxes while I'm alive. I never pay any taxes. I earn whatever I earn. I come home and I spend it. I save it. I invest it. I buy stuff. I build things. And when do I pay my taxes? I pay my taxes at death. Whatever is left over that I haven't spent, given away, reinvested, goes to the government for the revenue. Well, that's actually kind of cool. Which one would I rather pick? Obviously, I would rather pick the one where I just pay all my taxes at death. And flip side is if I just spend all my money, the government's actually kind of okay with that too, right? I mean, they're okay with if everyone just spent all their money every year and it's being reinvested and stuff's growing, that's okay. We get a similar outcome um, because money is flowing, things are being built, things are progressing, they're growing. Um, but to me, if I look at those two, I'd rather pay all of my taxes when I'm dead. Um, and I think it's not even close. Like if you just gave me that option today, that Jamie, you don't have to pay another single dollar of tax for the rest of your life, but you could, whatever's left in your estate when you die, we're going to take that for your taxes. I'd be 100% fine with that. <laughs> That would be a revolutionary, uh, not quite as much as a flying car, which I'm pretty sure that'll happen one day, but that would certainly be something. Jamie Hopkins, thanks so much for being on the show. Yep. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Shaping Change with Ross Marino. This show is for general information purposes only and is not intended to provide recommendations or advice. Speak with a legal, tax, or financial advisor before making any decisions. Past performance references are historical and do not guarantee future results. Visit rlsummit.com to learn more.